Hello and welcome to Head to Head, an investment week podcast where we bring people from opposing sides of a debate to discuss their views. I'm Valeria Martinez, Senior Reporter at Investment Week, and today we're discussing the future of private markets. Joining us is Nils Rhodes, CIO of Schroeder's Capital, and Mark Dowding, CIO of Blue Bay Asset Management. They will talk us through their view of the current private market environment, the tailwinds and headwinds for the space, and what role the private markets will have in investors' portfolios in the coming years. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, would you mind introducing yourselves? I guess we could start with Mark. Well, hello. Um, this is Mark Dowding speaking. So uh, I'm Chief Investment Officer of Blue Bay Asset Management. Uh, I've been uh, working in the asset management industry as an investor for the last uh, 25 years uh, and delighted to join the uh, debate today. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Nels? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. My name is uh, Niels Roth. I'm Chief Investment Officer of Schroeder's Capital, the private assets arm of Schroeder's, and I'm with the firm for 17 years. Okay, fantastic. So let's just dive straight into it. So low interest rates and barely debt regulation have made the past decade a golden age for private markets, especially as companies are staying private for longer. And 2021 was a huge year for the industry, um, as it was described the year of the deal. However, the, the amount of dry powder, which is capital that the industry has, which hasn't been deployed, also reached new records. Um, last year, you saw 20 to $30 billion funds being launched, and there have been some signs that some of the heat is coming out of the market, but of course, it still remains very busy. So I wanted to start with you, Nils. Um, what is your view of the current private market environment? Yeah, I believe for this discussion, it's helpful to uh, look at different uh, time horizons. Uh, so if we look at the long-term perspective on private equity, how the industry has evolved over the last 20 plus years and how it might evolve in the future, then it's clear that it's a growing industry for many reasons. Not only, um, you mentioned lower interest rates, uh, that might be some element here, but I believe there are many other reasons that we can discuss why it's a growing industry and why it has worked so well for investors and, and not only for investors, but also for the investments that it has made it has worked very well so it has has worked well for for all stakeholders and that's why the long-term trend uh, and the long-term growth will continue then on top of that you have some cyclicality so there are long-term cycles in the industry which are about 10-year cycles which are driven mainly by fundraising um, and we can talk about why fundraising is more cyclical and and then there are some shorter to medium-term developments uh, Foremost, if we look at the last three years and what's happening today, it's driven by the pandemic and, and uh, a lot of uh, short-term developments uh, and volatility that the pandemic has introduced. Um, and, and currently, we also have some other dark clouds like the Ukraine conflict uh, and, and some other issues uh, that uh, that contribute to the current situation. So I believe it's important to look at this on on those different time horizons. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, Nails. Um, what about you, Mark? Um, what is your view of the current environment for private markets? Yeah, so so maybe a slightly different perspective uh, and a more sceptical one, perhaps. Um, uh, partly because uh, I'm, uh, I guess my sense was that uh, last year we were really seeing a bit of a gold rush in private markets. A lot of capital was being raised um, and money was flowing in that direction. And I guess part of this stands to reason, uh, and, and back to sort of Neil's comment, yeah, um, uh, frankly, uh, these markets have been growing because uh, they've paid stakeholders well. Uh, you can sort of read that for, for the idea that uh, a lot of people working in the private industry have been paid very well. 
uh, and have been earning sort of uh, uh, pretty strong rents for, for, for what they're doing. Uh, and so um, the, the, the nature of the gold rush is to a degree understandable put against a historical context where there was absolutely no value um, sort of in 2021 in public markets, in, in areas like public market fixed income, there was no income left to invest. Um, and so I, I would just sort of question whether uh, this is inexorably uh, the, the direction of travel uh, and whether uh, perhaps um, last year could have seen a bit of a, a higher watermark and, and whether uh, the dial has now shifted um, uh, away from private markets to, to, to back towards public markets to a degree. It's not to say that there won't be good funds, good uh, opportunities in the private market space, uh, but I just say collectively in uh, in aggregate, uh, I, I'm, I'm perhaps a little bit worried that uh, too too much money has gone in that direction, or all a bit too quickly. Thank you, Mark. I'm um, just passing it on back to you, Nils. Um, what do you think is playing to the private market's favour, and what against? Yeah, so if, if we look at the last three years, it's correct that the last three years have been very special years and they've been very good years uh, for private assets overall and for private equity in particular. And I would say it has been more driven by 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 the listed markets and especially, I mean, what has happened is we we had the COVID shock, um, which could have led to a very deep recession. It turned out to be the shortest recession in history um, because there was uh, an unprecedented amount of money printing and fiscal stimulus. Um, and with all that money uh, available and the several rounds of checks uh, checks uh, sent to, to uh, U.S. citizens uh, and, and other measures, um, we saw a rally in stock markets um, that seems to be correcting now, uh, which has created a very strong exit environment for private equity. So it was a very good time to IPO companies and to sell companies uh, um, over the last uh, one and a half, two years. Um, and that has given an extra boost uh, to especially private equity, um, which has further um, increased the performance of the asset class uh, that investors have already been very happy with. Um, so that's the short-term effect uh, that has happened. Um, if you look at the, fund, uh, the fundraising side across private assets and also within private equity, then uh, most areas, and it's important to look at the different strategies because it's a, it's a vast asset class now, most uh, strategies have uh, had rather stable fundraising, still on a long-term growth trend, so the, the entire industry is growing. But uh, what we look at is the long-term trend and then the annual fundraising and how that fluctuates around the trend. Um, and if there have been areas where the, there was exuberance and too much fundraising and uh, things running maybe a little hot, um, then it was um, with regard to late-stage uh, technology uh, growth capital for technology investments where we uh, have seen the rise of the unicorns over the last six seven years where there are now more than a thousand unicorns uh, from up from zero uh, seven years ago so that's one pocket in the market that has been that has seen exuberance but we also have seen that exuberance even more so on, on the listed side if you look at um, the excitement about tech ipos and specs etc okay thank you so much nils um, what are your views on this, Mark? Um, what do you think is playing in the private market's favor, and what could be a potential? Could, what could be the potential headwinds for for the industry? Yeah, look, uh, from my perspective, again, I, I'm uh, a bit more concerned about the um, outlook in the, the short to, to medium term. Uh, 
Uh, I think the reality is that certainly from a European perspective, we are in uh, a recession now. It's likely to be a very difficult, challenging recession in part because you go back to 2008 uh, and in that particular cycle, uh, monetary policy was able to be eased and, and, and deploying monetary policy uh, could actually sort of mitigate the uh, uh, the recessionary headwinds. I, I actually think that Europe is in a, a very difficult spot now and uh, and potentially this uh, can expose uh, a lot of companies in, in the private space where there's a lot of leverage, uh, where there's a lot of early stage sort of startups, uh, in some cases uh, not generating sort of free cash flow. Uh, I, I think that there, 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 there could be a, a challenging uh, time ahead in this part of the market, which um, could actually see a degree of pain. I'd also note that I think that uh, if you if you look at sort of public markets over the course of the past year, of course, uh, prices have been written down with their uh, indices, uh, both in fixed income and equities moving lower. Um, uh, sometimes there's this sort of illusion that uh, um, uh, private markets are immune from these market moves, partly because prices aren't marked to market in in the same sort of fashion. But I do think that as uh, further funding is required, I, I, I do think that uh, you'll see uh, a realisation of losses in a, a number of vintages. So I, I am I'm more concerned that there is a, a challenging sort of period that sort of lies ahead uh, that is going to take the shine off uh, this idea that there is a trend towards um, uh, private markets continuing to do well. And, and I've thought it's incredibly naive sometimes on the part of some private market managers almost to feel like there's a, a God-given right to be able to deliver double-digit returns against a backdrop of interest rates which are, uh, are not much above zero. I just think that speaks to a horrid complacency. And whenever I see complacency in financial markets, it's normally a sure sign that you're likely to see uh, a bit of a bust around the corner. Nils, would you like to add anything to, to what Mark just said? Yeah, there, there are a few interesting points, and I believe also some points uh, that, that we agree on. So uh, I believe it's clear that uh, there's a high risk of a recession, um, uh, even though the current business cycle is only a bit more than two years old, um, uh, back from the recession we had uh, at the when, when COVID broke out globally. Um, so normally a cycle lasts longer, but uh, what we have now is we have some, some bursting bubbles um, uh, uh, in, in parts of the stock markets, um, uh, in crypto and in other areas uh, where there has been a lot of speculation and exuberance uh, over the last three years. And, and these bursting bubbles, uh, they, yeah, there's some uh, historic analysis that shows that bursting bubbles increase the risk of a recession. And of course, we also have a huge spike in interest rates, nominal interest rates. and. Uh, that, that also increases the risk of a recession. If there would be a recession now, it would also likely be a longer and a deeper one, because if you enter a recession with high inflation, then, then central banks have much less room to maneuver. So um, it could be a recession that could last, last a year or, or even longer in a worst case scenario. Um, and in, a, in such a recession scenario, many asset classes would correct. Um, I believe what, with regard to private markets, what's interesting to highlight is that if we look at past corrections, then uh, um, private markets and private equity have typically corrected much less than listed markets. So if you look at the global financial crisis, for example, then um, uh, private equity strategies, buyout and venture growth, they've corrected uh, about half of what we have seen in the listed markets and the stock markets. 
And then if you dive even deeper into the different strategies, uh, so even private equity is a very big market now, and within you have buyout, which is a big part. Um, and within buyouts, you have small, mid and large buyouts, and there you see that uh, all have corrected less than the stock markets, but large buyouts corrected the most and small buyouts corrected the least. Um, and so with regard to the leverage point where you have most leverage um, in the private equity markets is with large buyouts. That's also where we have seen the um, most significant uh, valuation um, increases over the last several years. And that's also where there's the highest level of leverage. So the expectation, my expectation would be if we enter such a recession scenario and if we do see valuation corrections, then we would uh, within private equity likely see more of that on the large buyout side and less for some other strategies. Um, and so one, one last point to make is if we would enter such a recession scenario, it would in fact be a good time to do new private market and private equity investments um, because uh, all the historical data shows that um, recession years are typically among the best vintage years. Um, and that's because uh, if you invest uh, at reduced in a reduced valuation environment, that's a good thing. And uh, um, every private market fund diversifies its investments over a certain period of time um, so that the recession would very likely be within that window if, if one would come now in such a scenario that we're discussing here. Um, and the investments that would be most impacted by the recession would in fact be the fund investments that have been made two or three years ago. Yeah, if I, if I, maybe if I, I just jump back in, actually, Valeria, uh, to, to what Niels is saying, I, I, can, I can certainly get the logic there. I, I, I would argue myself that um, um, it's not, um, are we seeing, um, like, is there a scenario of a recession? We are in a recession. There, there's no argument. We are in a bad recession in Europe. We're in a bad recession in the UK. That's a given at this particular point. I think the, uh, the listeners will already uh, be aware of such. But I, I would sort of say that, in that context, if I think about sort of private market opportunities, I do see, for example, a lot of opportunity in private markets in areas like distressed strategies and special situations as a fixed income investors. These are parts of the market I'd I'd really like and really want to highlight as as, as strategies in, in private markets that could do very well in that sort of situation. Um, I, I guess the, the only th uh, thing that I'd like to caution, though, when it comes back perhaps more to private equity uh, as a thought is that if you look at sort of past recessions like uh, uh, the recession in 2008, obviously this is a recession where effectively the banks took all the losses. All of the bad stuff was on the bank balance sheets, bank uh, uh, reserves were in a, uh, inadequate. We saw a lot of banks brought to their knees. But what we've seen over the course of the past decade is Banks have become much more conservative. They've raised massive capital buffers. They're not sort of engaging in the risk-taking activity that they once did. A lot of that has been moved on to areas like private markets, right? So we've seen an outsourcing of the risk that used to sit with the banks into private markets. Um, and I think the, the observation that I'd really share is that in this particular recession that we're likely to see, um, I think the banks are likely to come through relatively unscathed. All the big losses, all of the big losses are going to be uh, really sort of taken by those who have been investing in private equity, private debt funds, uh, as and when those write downs occur, in my opinion. If if Nils, you wouldn't want to add anything to that, we can just move on to the next question. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe just one comment on the on the sure. question of uh, how different industry sectors uh, are impacted in in different macro environments, um, and I believe it's a, it's a relevant question because the industry sector mix uh, that you find in private markets investments and in private equity is uh, different than when, what you find uh, in the stock markets. So if we talk about uh, recession scenarios uh, or also stagflation scenarios, we might still be in a stagflation scenario even after a recession. Um, then uh, one question is uh, which sectors would be impacted uh, and, and hurt the most and which would be more resilient. So if we look at um, data from the stock markets over the last 20 years um, in different market cycles, then in a stagflation scenario, there are few sectors that do particularly well that are more robust. Um, number one, there's uh, healthcare, which is also um, less cyclical and uh, with good pricing power. Um, another sector would be a consumer, including especially staples, but also discretionary consumers. So these sectors would do better than other sectors. Um, industrials would be hit more, um, for example. And if you look at the uh, the exposure mix that you have in private markets and private equity, then um, I believe what you see is there's a, there's a bias, um, so a larger weight to some of these more resilient sectors where for many firms in the private equity industry, for example, healthcare has been a very important sector. Um, and, and, and which is getting also a larger weight than than you would uh, see, and and also different types of companies than you would see in the listed stock markets. So, with regard to the sector mix, uh, I'm I'm more positive for the outlook. Thanks, Mills. So, moving on to something that has been in many investors' minds, um, which is valuations. Um, so, prices of private equity portfolio companies are quite high relative to to earnings generally. Um, and obviously valuations can be a bit of a challenge for private markets. Um, is that a concern for investors, would you say, starting with Nails for this one? I would I would say it depends on which part of the market you look at. So I mentioned that uh, where we saw um, fundraising above its long-term trend uh, is uh, on the late-stage uh, growth technology side, so the pre-IPO, so-called pre-IPO investments, and we also saw, saw some of that. Um, over the last years on the large buyout side where some very large funds have been raised uh, that, uh, as you say rightly, have made um, investments at increasing entry valuations and where the gap between the entry valuations between large deals and smaller deals has widened over the last years um, in both the US and Europe, which is where most of the biotransactions take place. So these these are areas where valuations have increased and where that could be a concern um, because higher value entry valuations typically means lower um, return expectations, but it's important to look at uh, the market structure. So if you look at the buyout uh, market and those large transactions, they represent uh, less than 5% of all transactions. So in, in terms of number of transactions, it's a very small part of the market because these deals are very large. They still represent half of the market by investment volume. So it's a, it's a big part of the market, it's half of the market, but it's only 5% of the transactions. If you look at the other 95% of transactions, which represent the other half of the market in terms of investment uh, volume, then there you have very different valuation dynamics. Uh, you have uh, rather stable valuations uh, over the last uh, 10 plus years um, and uh, much less concerns on the valuation side, but also lower leverage levels applied than for these uh, larger transactions. So I believe, again, 
Um, the market is so big it's, uh, and, and the dynamics are different. It's important to look at uh, the different parts of the market on a more granular level. Great. Mark, would you like to add your views on, on the valuations uh, debate? Yeah, not 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 ever so much to to, to share. I mean, I, I would note that um, I mean, if you look just since the start of the year, um, like the yield on a on US high yield uh, benchmarks has gone from four point three to seven point eight. So you've seen a massive revaluation in uh, public markets in areas like fixed income, uh, and that sort of uh, repricing firstly means that sort of investors could, if they're looking for eight uh, percent returns, they don't necessarily need to go to Private markets in the way that they uh, they formerly did, uh, but also I, I do think the uh, uh, the fact that you're you're raising your your discount rate is going to have a material impact on valuations, and so I think there's probably scope for valuations to correct more. Um, I mean, when I look at things like SPACs as a great example, I mean the valuations there were silly. SPACs uh, at a benchmark level delivered losses last year; they're delivering again double-digit losses this year. Uh, so I, I'm not saying that there won't be parts of the market uh, where uh, there aren't assets that you don't want to own, uh, but I think in a collective sense, I, I feel that sort of uh, uh, valuations have got further to uh, to unwind. Uh, and again, uh, to, to those on the call, I, I think it, it probably speaks to uh, uh, needing to find managers with skill because uh, having had an environment where everything is going up, it's all a bit bloody easy. There isn't really a lot of skill. A lot of people have been paid a lot of money without a lot of skill in private markets in, in the past part of the cycle. But I do think that uh, uh, going forward from this uh, particular point, we're likely to see much more dispersion in returns and outcomes. And, and actually, um, uh, people will be paid more based on the skill that they actually deliver. Thanks, Mark. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, because obviously in especially in the in the past couple of years, um, everyone everyone sort of wants in on the success of, of private markets. Um, but obviously, as these funds grow and more and more people pile in, I wanted to sort of ask both of you, um, isn't it just inevitable that the returns are going to start to come down? Um, how long do you think um, private markets will continue to outperform uh, public ones. Nils? Yeah, so the, the, these are interesting points and uh, also also the skill point and uh, um, uh, where managers complacent in recent years because uh, the general market, uh, public market performance was good and so you, you didn't need to do much more. But, um, so I would say that, that I, I, I don't see complacency there and I, I, I also see the objective of investors and fund managers to outperform public markets and, and based on investor surveys, private market investors and private equity investors are very happy with their investments, including with their performance. So that might be some indication that investors uh, got what, what they were looking for. Um, uh, but a, a key question here for the entire discussion is if there is expected outperformance in private markets um, and in private equity, but also in the other strategies, um, private debt, private real estate, uh, private infrastructure, where, where does the outperformance come from? Um, and if, if I may just summarize in a few sentences what the general view has been over the last 20 years and how that might be changing. Um, the general view has been that there's outperformance because there's illiquidity. So you, you, you need to accept uh, that you are locked into illiquid investments, which investors don't want to be. Um, and that's why they are compensated and they get lower entry valuations and they get uh, uh, better yields and better performance. 
that has been the predominant explanation why um, there could be outperformance in, in private uh, markets. I, I believe that explanation already for many years doesn't hold really anymore because uh, um, there's a lot of interest uh, to take liquidity and uh, investors much more able and willing to do so and, and also doing it. Um, and we see that uh, in, in the growth of the private markets industry that, that we discussed earlier. Um, if there is still um, expected outperformance um, and, and actual outperformance that, that can be observed for some investments, um, then I believe it comes from something very different, uh, which, which uh, I refer to as the complexity premium. So doing things that are difficult, and, and that's, that's the skill point. So applying skills that are very rare um, to investments and doing something that few people can do or, or would dare to do, um, and then doing this successfully and then getting compensated for the risk that has been taken, but also the, the skill that has been applied, which has then reduced the risk for those who have the skills. Um, and this might sound very complex, but I illustrated with just one example. I believe where this is very, very well illustrated. If, if you look at early stage biotechnology investments, uh, which uh, target uh, curing bad diseases like cancer um, or developing the next uh, uh, vaccine, um, uh, such startups, they, they start with very little at the beginning. Um, they typically don't have revenues initially, and often they, are, they don't have any revenues before they are exited and sold. And um, their success very much depends on the skills of the management teams, um, the, the scientists and, and the fund managers that back those investments, where significant amounts of money go into those investments to make them successful. So I believe that's a good example of uh, an investment that is lowly correlated with stock markets and very much driven by skill. But you also have the same if you go through all other strategies within private markets. You have that in different forms. Um, just one more example, a typical buyout investment, a buyout manager buys one company in a fragmented market and then it buys another 10 and merges all of those uh, into one and, and makes it more successful and creates a bigger company that can be uh, sold to a strategic investor or exit in other ways. Um, that is difficult to do and that's, that's where uh, a, a unique set of skills is applied where then the compensation is the skill premium or what I call the complexity premium. So I believe that's the predominant source of outperformance if there's outperformance uh, in the industry. Thank you, Nils. Mark, would you like to add anything to what Nils just said? What do you think about his argument? Yeah, so so um, very interesting. I, I think I, I'd begin by sort of agreeing the point that I think that the uh, illiquidity premium has, has long since evaporated, so investors aren't being paid for, for illiquidity. And, and so uh, I do come back to this idea that uh, um, if there's um, a case to be made, uh, the case is to be made around skill. Uh, but I would say, uh, in my own estimation, that skill is relatively rare. Uh, and I would say that uh, if I look at sort of uh, private markets in a collective sense today, uh, I would have uh, I would have offered the conjecture that I think there's probably 80% of people, 80% of firms working in private markets haven't really got much skill at all. To be honest, uh, they're just sort of uh, uh, riding the uh, the wave uh, that has seen a bit of a gold rush of asset raising in the space. Uh, and so it will be interesting. I, I do uh, uh, think that uh, as you move into a recessionary situation, 
Uh, and to sort of paraphrase uh, Warren Buffett, when the tide goes out, you'll be uh, left seeing who's uh, swimming with no shorts on. Uh, we, we will see that sort of uh, differentiation in terms of skill. Uh, but I would lastly say, uh, beware the idea that complexity, though, can be um, something which should be a USP. The last time anyone told me that complexity was a great selling point uh, was when we were flogging uh, uh, CDOs uh, in the run up to the uh, uh, the GFC. Um, uh, we we all felt ever so clever at the time, but actually there was no no skill. You were just uh, uh, package, packaging rubbish, to be honest. So yes, there's skill. Uh, yes, it should be found. Yes, there'll be opportunities, but I think that uh, investors are going to need to be much more selective uh, and also thoughtful about where in private markets they, they, they invest. And Nils has mentioned a couple of sectors that may be interesting. Uh, I, I again would reiterate the idea of things like um, distressed debt, special situations in emerging markets and developed markets would be a space within the world that I'm of operating in uh, that I would tend to think could be uh, interesting. Thank you, Mark. Nels, would you like to add anything else uh, to what Mark just said? Yeah, I just want to clarify. So if I say complexity premium and I refer to complexity, I refer to complexity in the underlying investment opportunity. So the complexity of uh, creating a company or um, turning around a company or growing a small company into a larger company. So that's that's when I, what I refer to when I say complexity. I do not refer to complexity and creating complex products. So, so that's 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 not what I what I refer to. And and I agree on the skill point that skills are rare. And I believe we even see it in the numbers. So it's well known that in in private markets and, and particularly in private equity, um, there there's a very very widespread in performance between the, the best managers uh, and the other managers. So the top and upper uh, quartile um, uh, co compared to the other quartiles, uh, there's a widespread and there's also that, that has been statistically shown a high level of persistency and performance so that if somebody is among the best managers um, they, they, they are more likely to uh, be among the best managers uh, than managers that are not among the best managers. And this varies a bit then by strategy if you dive deeper, but uh, the general tendency is there. So I believe uh, um, on, on this point of um, skill-based investments and that skills are rare and that skills can lead to outperformance. Um, um, I believe that we agree and also in the examples uh, of uh, distress uh, investments, for example, it's one of the areas where very significant skills are required to do these investments successfully. So I believe it's a, it's a good illustration of the, of the overall idea. Great. Thank you so much, Nils. Um, just to sort of wrap things up, as a last question for both of you, um, I wanted to ask you, what role, if any, do you think private markets will have in investors' portfolios in the next few years? Um, Mark, would you like to start? So, so look, uh, for all that I've said, I, I think that um, uh, sort of private assets will pay uh, an important part in, in investors' portfolios. The only thing I've really been challenging is the idea that they will play an ever larger role. I, I think we probably have seen a bit of a high watermark event last year. Uh, and if anything, if there's more value coming back to public markets, uh, they, they may play a slightly smaller role on, on a forward-looking basis. Uh, I'd also note that there are sort of other uh, asset classes in, in alternatives. 
uh, such as hedge funds, where again, uh, there'll be managers who deliver skill, uh, where, where hedge funds uh, and other absolute return strategies can play a very important role in terms of delivering non-correlated returns in, in an asset allocation. So uh, in, in this discussion, I think hedge funds should not be overlooked. Um, but, but yes, I, I believe that uh, privates should play a part in um, uh, investors' uh, asset allocations, but uh, I wouldn't argue that uh, uh, they, they, they should become a dominant piece or an even bigger piece than has been uh, necessarily the case in the course of the past year. Great. What are your conclusions, Nils, um, in terms of what place will private markets play in portfolios in, in coming years? Yeah, I mentioned initially that private markets have uh, still a long way to go. So we have seen several decades of significant growth. Uh, I believe that long-term trend will continue. It, it will continue because there's uh, private markets that still represent a relatively small share of their relative investment universes. If you look at private equity um, um, and uh, all the other private asset, uh, asset classes. Um, and the model has proven very successful for all stakeholders. So. Uh, having active ownership and in many situations control overship, ownership um, and having a very strong alignment of interest and a long-term focus, not a short-term short -term focus with typical holding periods that could last uh, uh, from, from three to ten or more years depending on the strategy. And also we didn't talk about uh, ESG at all and so the, the non-financial um, impact that investments can generate I believe uh, this combination of long-term investment horizon, um, good alignment, uh, active ownership, this is also something that uh, uh, is very favorable for uh, ESG and um, improving assets uh, during the holding period and uh, generating impact that goes beyond the financial impact. So um, for all these reasons, and also if you really look at the investor side, investors uh, that really increasingly make private markets uh, a core element of their portfolio and uh, um, it's a complex asset class so it's also not so easy to understand and as we saw in this discussion if you dive deeper then there are many many strategies that might have different dynamics um, and also different risk return and liquidity profiles so in investors have gotten more and more fam familiar with all of those i believe the next frontier is beyond the institutional investors that are already very significantly invested um, to also expand the universe beyond that um, towards uh, private investors. Okay, fantastic. Definitely the, the ESG in private markets could make for an entire uh, other podcast. Um, but yeah, so we're going to wrap, wrap it there. Um, there's definitely lots to keep an eye on. So thank you both so much for taking the time to explain and provide your, your perspectives today. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you.